1: Welcome to a word fitly spoken. I'm Zell Heidi here today with David Bukes to talk about the prayers of Jesus. David, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks, Zell. It's good to be on with you again. Um, uh, I was uh, I was sad to miss the conclave. Uh, my my laptop was sitting in a church at a at a circuit meeting very far away from me, and so I had to I had to listen in and enjoy the conversation afterwards. But uh, good to talk to you today.
1: Yeah, and we're glad to have you back on. It should it should be a good time. How's the weather out your way?
0: It we've turned the corner uh, just in the last day, so we're gonna get freezing temperatures tonight. The leaves we had a nice one nice week of golden leaves, and now you know with the frigid temperatures and the wind picking up, they're all gonna they're all gonna drop. Um, but that's middle of October, totally to be expected. And uh, other, you know, otherwise it's been a good fall. So.
1: Good, good. I mean, we kind of have the same weather posting usually. So (laughs) Um, it's really extremely windy here today. Is it windy out your way?
0: It is. Yep. I think that that's been uh, the the cause of this change. You know, it's like one last blast through here to bring the cold temperatures.
1: Sure. And I I know I I had uh, members of the congregation mention that like things are getting blown off their buildings because of the wind out here. And Like a light got blown off of one guy's building and all that good stuff, but it's just, I don't know. It is what it is, but I mean, I can look out and see the trees just swaying violently in this wind and I don't, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. (laughs) <laughs> you got
0: to you got to make sure that you all of your windbreaks are set up for the for the winter grazing in the field there's
1: Owen so you don't you don't freeze out, all right? So we have enough to provide for the family. So
0: That's right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, very good. So, we are talking about the prayers of Jesus and Jesus praying and all that good stuff. Why why are we talking about this, David? What is what's the the point of the conversation? That's a a great question. As
0: I was listening or reading that uh, intro from Hebrews, I I was struck by the goal that eternal salvation would be given to all of those who obey uh, our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And that really gets to the purpose of what we are uh, aiming at here. And that is obedience to Christ. And obedience includes, of course, listening to his commands, but also following his example. And I think we have uh, a lot to learn from the example of Jesus that we might otherwise overlook if, we, if we're if we simply listening to uh, his specific instructions.
1: Sure. I mean, because, I mean, he does command us to pray, obviously, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, he tells us this is something we should do. I mean, he tells parables about, you know, not losing heart and that sort of thing and always praying. But it's not, like you say, it's not just the command itself that's important. I mean, it is important, but but also that he himself prays. And I think we can learn something from the fact that our savior prays and he's not only just praying during his time, you know, in humiliation during his time on earth, but he's also praying now, right? At the right hand of the father, he's continuing to pray. So what, I mean, yeah, we have a great example.
0: (laughs) That's that's right. And it it, it shows us that uh, prayer is not something that he merely takes up in times of desperate need, which, you know, frankly, is the way that that we tend to think of prayer. I I mean, you hear this in the way that lots of people and sometimes I, I myself instinctively talk about prayer. Well, you know, I guess there's nothing left to do but pray as though that is the escape hatch, you know, like in in okay, when all other things fail then we turn to prayer. And of course, I mean, we all know that that's, that that's not the right way to regard prayer, but I think that there's even a step further here, uh, in, in observing Jesus in that this is his standard mode of operation. I mean, he's, he's, he's not thinking of prayer as something extra, something, uh, added to his life, you know, as, as, as a, as a member of the Holy Trinity, but it is in fact, the, the essence of his life is speaking to his father and listening to his father. Um, And that ought to, you know, that ought to make us pause and and think, you know, think much more carefully about how we use prayer and how how we regard it.
1: Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. And in following in Jesus's example, in this case, um, I will prove to be very fruitful, as we will see through the passages that we talk about. Because Jesus not only, like you say, he not only prays in times of need, he also just prays as as a matter of fact, he praises he praises his Father. He, you know, gives thanks for some rather unusual things, as we'll find out. And it's just, it's it's interesting to consider even the very words that Jesus uses, because how might Jesus's words shape our prayers? You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, so we are accustomed to hearing Paul in Romans describing that the Spirit intercedes for us in our weakness, since we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But Jesus himself, you know, I mean, when the disciples inquire, he gives them specific words to pray. Right? Um, Teach us to pray. And then he says, pray in this way. But we we have even more to gain, I think, beyond that, by listening to his own words, uh, what he what he asks of his father and how he asks it of his father. Um, I mean, I've been reflecting on this quite a bit lately about how imitation, how how following an example is one of the uh, clearly most fundamental ways that we learn. And that's what's beautiful about the Gospels is that it's not just side notes that oh and Jesus and Jesus prayed, although there is a lot of that, you know. And and there's some interesting things to see in in the you know the situations under which he goes off and prays, but it is it is replete with uh, his prayer. His his you know the words matter, although these could be private conversations between him and his father. You know he, the the gospel writers didn't have to tell us, you know, and he didn't have to say it within anybody's hearing, and yet he did. That ought to be a clue for us that we should we should you know listen and follow his example.
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, since there are several passages that we might consider here, David, where do you want to begin? Yeah, let's just. I think I think I like Luke nine as a good place to start because it
0: it combines two two kind of situations under which Jesus prays, and one of them is really common, and I think that that most people are are familiar with the fact that Jesus would go off on his own to pray quite regularly. So so in Luke uh, 9, verse 18, just before Jesus has a conversation with his disciples about whether he's the Christ or who, who people say that he is, we just have this note, this sort of passing note. Now, it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. So, He's praying by himself. The disciples are, are, you know, somewhere nearby, but he's, he's separated himself. Um, and, and in other gospels and in other settings already, already at the beginning of the gospel of Mark, we hear that Jesus goes off into a, a desert place, almost, almost, you know, seeming to have the purpose of it, not just silence, not just, you know, I need, I need to free myself from distraction, but I need to be remote. I need to be distant from other people, which is, uh, that's an interesting facet to prayer, you know, it's interesting to consider why that would be the case. I think there certainly is something about the potential for distraction and the temptation that it brings. And it's not just that, you know, Jesus would be good at resisting temptation, but he certainly also knew uh, what he needed to do to avoid temptation altogether. I'm going to go off so that there's no potential for distraction.
1: And I I think that's certainly there. I, I absolutely agree with you, but I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. You know, the wilderness is also the place where, He's tempted. The wilderness is the place of the demonic, that sort of thing. Do you think him going out into the wilderness to pray makes it a kind of offensive thing, too? Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And, and that reminds me of uh, of the word that's
0: used to describe Jesus prayer in in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke and that he was he was in agony. And he, and he, he was stretching himself out. And I was thinking about that, the nature of that agony, how really it's, it's twofold. So agony being not, not like misery in the way that we think we tend to think of misery. Oh, like I've got, I'm in agony because I've got a really bad headache or something like that, or because, you know, things aren't going the way I want them to, but agony as in engaged in a struggle, right? This, this being the, the word to describe, you know, a runner in a race who is Striving towards the prize or a wrestler who's competing against a foe. And I think that I think that you're exactly right. So there's this offensive move uh, against the devil, he's, he's going to find the devil to kick him in the teeth, essentially, you know, and, and, the, and part of the part of finding that is, you know, recognizing that the, the affront to the devil, the combat against the devil is faith. It's not, it's nothing but expressing and exhibiting trust in his heavenly father. So I can go off into a desert place, you know, away from the sort of at times superficial comforts of my, my foolish disciples. um, And I can put my trust entirely in my heavenly father um, and, and send the devil running in the process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when Jesus tells the disciples, you know, that couldn't cast out a demon, this, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. I mean there's there's something to that too don't you think that uh in in the fact that this 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 prayer being the means of attacking the demonic of attacking evil sort of a thing I mean it shows that prayer is not just the last resort of the christian
0: right yeah yeah yeah, I'd be interested to hear what you think about this. I, that, um, of course, the the assault on the devil is a is a huge part of what he's what he's doing, and he enlists us in that battle as well, right? So we're not just on the defensive against the devil, but we are actually wielding the weapons of faith. But there is another sense too that I think that's exhibited on the wilderness of struggling with God. Um, so so some examples of that that we know from the scriptures are Jacob, you know, in the middle of the night at the ford of the river Jabbok wrestling with God. Um, mm-hmm. or I think in the Gospels about about, for instance, when you know the Syrophoenician woman is um, wrestling with Jesus essentially by faith, holding on to his promises and insisting on a blessing, how that's another kind of combat. And, and we see this in the season of Lent, you know, with with these lessons. I think we get the Syrophoenician woman early, early in Lent. Um, at, you get start with the temptation of Jesus by the devil, and then you get the Lord seems to be your friend and the devil seems to be your enemy. And then this sort of reverse when all of a sudden it's, it actually feels like it's the the Lord himself against whom you're struggling. And that, that also, I think is a part of what Jesus is taking up. We don't hear that early in the, earlier in the gospels, but we do hear that in the garden of Gethsemane and then on the cross, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, that is, that could, those, I mean mean obviously the words of the Psalm, but those could have been the words of Jacob, you know, as he's looking across the river, expecting to meet his brother who wants to murder him. You brought me here. uh, And uh, this seems to be the end of the road. Why have you forsaken me?
1: Right? Right. No, I mean, that's, that's an excellent point. And I was just thinking, you mentioned Gethsemane, which I was going to mention, but I just thought of, isn't this the essence of the imprecatory Psalms? Hmm. This wrestling with God, you know, how long, why is this happening? That sort of thing. This, you know, but doing so in a position of faith, you know, it's not saying why aren't you doing anything? Cause I don't think you're going to do anything. No, this is, I know you are going to do this for me. So do it, as you said, you know, and wrestling with God, asking him to do what he has promised to do. Yeah. No, I think, I think wrestling with God is is just as much a part of what Jesus is doing here. Well, wrestling with his father. I mean, so. And, and yeah. I think that that's that that's
0: the reasons for that for the need to wrestle with God are um, maybe need to be maybe we can flesh them out a little bit. I, I was just thinking about I was thinking about the conversation between God and Habakkuk. You know, when when the, when the cry is when are you going to do something about uh, you know the wickedness of these people? And God says, okay, I'm going to do something about it. Here come the Chaldeans, and Habakkuk's like, wait a minute, <laughs> they're worse. <laughs> you know, they're worse than we are. I don't. This doesn't seem like a good plan. And I, I was, you know, I think that that's. Th- that fits well with the the scandal and the paradox of what Jesus is in in front, you know, coming, coming up against here. You know, when God relents of disaster against the people of Israel, um, he often says, I'm not going to destroy you. Lest your enemies say about you, their God was unfaithful to them. And you know, that's completely sensible. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. But then here we come to the cross and at the cross, you know, this point, of greatest, uh, grief and, and greatest injustice. This seems to be the point at which if any enemy of God ever wanted to say you're unjust, you're unfaithful, you don't keep your promises. This is that moment, which is why, I mean, it really does come down to a wrestling match. You can, you can almost hear the conversation of Habakkuk again. It's like, you know, uh, when are you going to save, when are you going to save these people? And God says, okay, here comes, here comes the cross. And, you know, it's like, but uh, but they're going to win Then this seems like this seems like complete defeat. And of course, you know, there, there's I don't want to make I don't want to make it seem like Jesus is you know, ignorant or unaware. But that kind of wrestling is the is the exercise of faith because it is the conflict between what you can see what and what the world says and what your what your flesh perceives and the plain words of God, which endure.
1: Well, even even Jesus, you know, being God still has to wrestle with these things. I mean, just to think about the the sheer weight of what he had to endure on the cross and to do it fully aware and fully conscious at all times of what he was doing. I, I would be surprised if he wasn't, you know, sweating blood. You know what I mean? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it is confounding in a lot of ways. Um, and, and, and they're trying to trying to sort of parse out what that experience um, can be like, uh, would have been like, M- maybe, maybe in some sense is is part of the problem. You know, it's like, it, it's awful. However, you imagine it <laughs> is worse than you can imagine, right? Whatever you whatever right. you think it was like, because in this at the same by the same stroke that like, we can say, man, that, that would feel desperate. T- can you imagine what it would be like to to perceive that God has forsaken you but but even then our our perceptions are so limited so he perceived right. it even more fully than we we could imagine you know right just like right. Uh, i mean uh, by degrees it's it's so much beyond our our comprehension so whatever we feel like we're doing when we're wrestling against the devil or against God in in our lives and in prayer i mean
1: you know infinitely more so for him yeah absolutely no i i think that's an excellent point but getting back a little bit to the passage that we have here. So we're talking in Luke chapter 9. Is there anything that we can make out of the fact that he is praying alone, besides the fact that he's getting away from distraction and all of that? You know, what can we learn from this practically for our prayer life? You know yeah, what I mean? yeah,
0: I think, yes, I do. I, I think that fundamentally, uh, part of the point is that prayer is for the prayer. It is uh, an exercise of his faith. And that's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 6, is it 6 when he says, don't exercise your piety, you know, don't practice your righteousness before other men in order to be seen by them, because if you do, then you have your reward. But instead, go and close the door and speak to your father who sees in secret, and he who sees in secret will reward you. I mean, this is the example of Daniel who, who you know, went into his closed room to pray several times a day because it was the natural um, action of his faith. So fundam- fundamentally, and I, and I think we get this wrong. I mean, pastors sometimes struggle with this. You know, people ask you to pray for this or that thing. And it seems that as much as you're making your petitions before God, you're also putting on a show, you know, like so you got to say it in the right way or cover all of the, cover all of the requests or, um, <laughs> right. you know, and, and make it the right length, you know, to show that you're taking it seriously, but that you're not taking yourself too seriously, whatever it might be, right? It, I, <laughs> I think that helpfully Jesus here is exhibiting that, uh, you know, the the, the basic point of prayer is it is the, it is the communication between the one who trusts in God and the God who delivers promises.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that happens first and foremost in the closet or in the wilderness or whatever it may be. I, I do think we have to emphasize here that, you know, private prayer, as we might call it, you know, praying alone is very much a part of what it means to be a Christian. And I would I would say you're pretty hard pressed to say that if you, I mean, well, no, how do I want to put this? I would say that unless you are praying in private and doing so regularly, I re- I really think your faith would be struggling. Wouldn't you say?
0: I agree. Um, and I think about that in, in terms of uh, also like the corporate prayer that we do. So imagine what it would be like never to pray privately, but then come to church and have that be the one time that you pray, you you got you know, weak prayer muscles, if this is just, you know, sort of once, once a week that you're doing it, 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 I I heard, you know, prayer uh, compared to breathing, prayer is the breath that enlivens the body of faith, or it is the, it is the, the, the breathing that accompanies the life of faith. And so you can't hold your, you can't be holding your breath, right? Right. It is this inhaling and exhaling. And that's, what's beautiful about prayer or elegant about it, I suppose, is that it, it has to correspond with breathing in, god's word in order for you to have anything to breathe out and that's often you know i, I would be hesitant to say of anybody you should do more praying and that's that's sort of the, the the issue here instead i would be more likely to think well if you're struggling to pray it's probably because you're not hearing god's word you know you're if you're not praying at daily or privately or whatever it might be it's because you're not in, you're not inspired by god's word to speak to the god who's speaking to you
1: you're trying to breathe out without ever breathing in yeah yeah
0: We shouldn't be surprised when that doesn't work, right? (laughs) Exactly.
1: Anything else you want to say in this section before we go break, David? No, this is great. Yeah, this is good. So we'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken right after this. Here today with David Bukes talking about prayers of Jesus. So, David, in the previous section, we just got done talking about Jesus praying by himself in Luke chapter nine. What that means for us, why he does it, all those good things. But we also see him praying in other contexts too, right? I mean, even in even in Luke chapter nine. So, where do you want to where do you want to go with that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a uh, coincidental thing here that right after we hear this note about him praying alone in Luke 9, then just 10 verses later, we hear this uh, introductory note about the transfiguration. So He was uh, about eight days after these sayings, uh, verse 28, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white, which which says something about... uh, or at least invites the question of what what's he doing now praying not by himself but in the company of his disciples um, and at the very least you know there's there's clearly the idea here that Jesus is not only going to be uh, a solitary prayer but that he um that he understands the value of corporate prayer just as uh, we have received you know that you know Paul Paul's instructions that that men would lift their hands in prayer together you know that that this would be the action of of the body of Christ, the church, and his and his disciples. So we, here we see Jesus doing that uh, with Peter and James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration.
1: Yeah, I mean, would you would you call this a public prayer? Is this something a little less? I mean, because I've always made the distinction between what I sometimes call private prayer, which is like the prayer with a family, for example, and truly public prayer, which is like what we do on Sunday morning. You know, is that, I mean, it, what would you say Jesus is doing here?
0: Yeah, I think, I suppose that this is probably something um, closer towards to, to, to private prayer. This is not, this is not an all comers, anybody who's within earshot can hear kind of a thing, um, mm-hmm. but it is s- still a step removed from, you know, in a desolate place by, by himself. So I, I think I like, I like the picture of family prayer. So when you, when you gather together uh, to pray with your family, it isn't, you know, an action of, the public work of the church. Um, it is how it is. However, um, the, the collected prayers of, of this household together. And, and here you have um, Jesus in, in the companionship of his, you know, his, his close friends, his followers. And I'm at the, you know, besides his specific requests that he might have towards the mission that God has, you know, appointed him for, I'm sure that, that here we see an indication also of the fact that they would have prayed together. He and his disciples for, just, you know, the routine, everyday things that they needed along the way. Here he was praying with them just as just as you would with your children.
1: Right. And I mean, you could even argue that this is his family because Jesus himself says, whoever does the will of God is my mother and sister and brother, right? Yeah. yeah. This this is his family, so to speak. So this is family prayer in a way that we see happening here on the Mount of Transfiguration. But what is, what is the purpose of this praying as a family or this private prayer, you know, what, what is, what is Jesus trying to do with it? What should we try to do with it? I mean, I'm just kind of throwing it wide open here to talk about this kind of prayer here.
0: Yeah, I think I, so I I like that question, especially because it makes me think about what's the purpose of praying together in, in my home, you know, and, and there are at least two things that really stand out to me. One of them is that, that we have, we have needs or, Requests or things for which we could be thankful that that we're not individually thankful for, but we are thankful for or need together as a family. You know, and and part of that is tied up in in the notion of headship. Right. So when a father is leading his family in family devotions, um, he's taking responsibility for this uh, this group of people who are under his care. They're given to him by God uh, for him to be responsible and lead and nurture and and you know build them up in faith and that's what's happening when he leads them in prayer. when they pray together, they are together being built up in faith uh, which is you know which is different in some sense I suppose than it than individually being built up in faith right You're being built up in faith together in unity in the bond of peace, all of the things that we we know uh, promised to and offered to uh, to believers. So I think that that's probably one of the one of the big things that's going on here. It's important that they that they grow in faith and that they grow in faith together, you know, not, not separately from one another. But another thing I think that really stands out, and I think we see this a little bit later too in some of Jesus' uh, specific prayers, that he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And that fits well with the, the model of a household prayer as well. So when a father, you know, gathers his children to pray with them, obviously the requests themselves matter, you know? Dear Jesus, I pray that so-and-so would be you know, cured of their disease, or I pray that everybody would sleep well tonight, or whatever it might be. Those, those requests matter. It, 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 what matters in a different way is the example of faithfulness and trust and bringing your petitions before God, which is happening at the very same time.
1: Yeah. And I think we could even see that happening in some sense with the disciples on the Mount, right? I mean, we're not told exactly what they are praying for exactly. I mean, we're not given the words of Jesus in this occasion of private prayer. But we also see the disciples, you know, terrified at what they are about to see, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe part of the prayer, again, this is speculating, was, you know, in preparation for that. Because Jesus certainly knew what was coming, right? You know, they're talking about his exodus. They're talking about what is to come. And so I could see certainly this praying together with his disciples as a kind of preparation also for what they are about to go through. And I, I could—that's very much a part of prayer as well, you know, in preparation for the future, right?
0: Yeah, and I think that um, almost any request—I'm I, I, tempted to say any request that you might bring before God is the petition for strengthening of faith. And in that, in that sense, you can see in the, you know, the episode on the Mount of Transfiguration, exactly that happening, right? So whatever it is we're praying for, the the conclusion that prayer must be, thy will be done. And then the voice comes from heaven and says, you know, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And there's God's will, you know? (laughs) All right. Right. So (laughs) we don't have to wonder anymore. It's here it is. Uh, Just, just do this thing.
1: Right? Right. No, I, I, I think that's an excellent point because then even though they keep silent, they don't tell anybody about what they've seen. You know, they're perplexed by what has happened. Eventually, we have the, you know, the recognition of what happens and the strengthening of faith. I mean, Peter, by the time he writes first, Peter, can speak about his experience on the mountain and say, you know, this is the, the confirmation of the prophetic word. You know, this is the, the proof of what Jesus is. But I don't think he recognized that right then and there. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> right that's,
0: that's certainly true and then I, I mean i think that that along with that is peter's recognition that although he's had this sort of ecstatic moment where, where he ser- certainly is beside himself he says to his hearers that they have something more certain than even what he experienced the you know the prophetic word and that 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 kind of certainty can only come by the holy spirit you know to 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 say to set aside the desire or hope, or you know, the aspiration to some sort of a mountaintop experience, or in Peter's case, to like to want to hold on to that mountaintop experience, to set those things aside and say, "Look, the it, it's the words and promises of God that uh, I need above all else." That's that's what's that conviction is what's strengthened in Peter, and that's also what's given then to the church through Peter, which is an answer to Jesus's prayer in John seventeen when he when he asks that his Father would you know, keep those who hear the word through his, his disciples, right? I mean, it's all, it's all toward the end that you and I really would believe that, that we would hold fast to God's promises.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and even even just thinking of that, you know, Jesus praying not only for himself, but primarily for us and for the needs of others in that sense, I think is, is a great indication of what it means to pray, Because we are so quick to pray for our needs and our own wants, which we should do, absolutely. But that's not the only thing we should pray for. You know what I mean? And we get an example of that in Christ himself.
0: Yeah, and, and in and in so many cases, and especially in the Garden of Gethsemane, you can hear how, although although you know the Psalms are replete with the specific requests, Jesus shows us that the resolution of all those specific requests is bound up with Thy will be done, and that's really the that's that's kind of the point. Like to, the hope is to get there, to get there where whatever it is, all you need to say to God is Your will be done, and that's good enough, right? That's that I mean not and and that's almost putting it too lightly. It's like that's more than enough, right? That's more than you need.
1: Well, because I think most of the time, and again, I'm speaking from my own experience too, when we say thy will be done, it's almost kind of a resignation. But I don't mean in a good Christian resignation. I mean, kind of like a, well, there's nothing I can do about it, so I guess your will be done kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> and, and really what Jesus wants us to be able to do and to, when we say Thy will be done is to say that and recognize that that's good enough, that we can be completely content in that and not just kind of this. Oh, well, we'll see what happens or maybe this will turn out well, but to actually say your will will be done and it will be the best thing.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that there's something interesting about how like it, it, it's almost difficult to describe that because like that it is a resignation when we when we say good even good enough. Um, it's like uh, what could be better than God's will being done? Nothing, absolutely nothing. And if His will isn't done, then we are in a world of trouble. So <laughs> right. it's like, Lord, please, please let Your will be done. Because uh, I mean, obviously, the will of the world and and the devil and wicked men is dreadful, but even my own will. Oh, I I don't want to even think about what would happen if my will were done. Lord, please, (laughs) this is, this is better than enough. This is, this is what I need contrary to my own will. Um, And that's, I mean, that's what Jesus is exhibiting, right? He's, uh, you know, whatever it is, um, when he prays for himself, for his own needs, it's, it's not, it's not even like submitting himself to God's will. It's saying, I I must desire your will because I have no hope otherwise.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's almost, I mean, don't don't tell me the wrong way, but you could almost say like his will become, you know, God's will becomes his will. Yeah, it's almost as if his will doesn't. And this sounds blasphemous, but it almost like it doesn't exist anymore. That it's so completely in tune with the will of God that they are one, that they are the the same thing. You know what I mean? I do, and I I, I
0: hear that a little bit in what what I, we heard in the intro from from. Hebrews, I mean, it's kind of perplexing, almost sounds blasphemous, just like just like you described, right? Um, that he although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered mm-hmm. and being made perfect. Um, he became the source of eternal salvation. Right. I mean, so obviously there's a wrong way to understand that. But I but I think that the right way and a very helpful way for us as Christians is to recognize that that the struggle, as we said earlier, the struggle of prayer, obviously against temptation and the devil, but also with God himself towards not overwhelming God, not towards overcoming him, but towards that, you know, that, that he would overcome me with his promises and that I would, that I would have nothing between me and him except for faith. Um, That's the, that's the goal. That's the outcome of our prayers, right? It, isn't that a, something? I mean, it's like the outcome of our prayers is not that we get what we want. The outcome is not even that we get anything except that we trust in God. That's the, that's
1: the goal. Right. And then having such faith, you know, whatever we ask for, will be done, you yeah, know, and, right. We we always focus on like, oh, this is what I really want and thinking that, you know, as long as I'm praying in faith, I will get exactly what my will wants. But that's not really what God is saying. It's that our will become you know, his will becomes our will, and then in that way, our prayers become will will follow in the in that line. That's, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the risk of an infinite regress
0: is kind of like um our prayers ultimately are that I would want what God wants, that I would desire what he desires. Right. 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah. Not to get God to desire what I want.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which, I mean, I think that uh, when you think about the examples of the patriarchs, I'm always fascinated with, you know, uh, with Abraham interceding for Sodom or, or Moses, you know, interceding for the people of Israel. There's this, there's this sense in which it seems that there's, there's like a persuasion or maybe even a, a bit of negotiation or manipulation happening. But, but really, I mean, the, the, the hope for Abraham and Moses is that they know God's will well enough that they can ask God for these things and be sure that God is going to grant them because, because they've, they've been attuned to what, what God's will
1: is. And it's not like when Abraham finally says, you know, if there are 10 in the city, then spare the whole city kind of thing. He's not like saying, okay, I finally got got down to this one point. Mm-hmm. What, what he's basically saying is, is that he recognizes that it is not God's will to just destroy indiscriminately. Right. I mean, which is, which is what, I mean, which is kind of his point. You know, you will not sweep away the righteous with the wicked, right? He wants to show the faithfulness of God and the patience of God, even though Sodom and Gomorrah deserve neither because of right. their
0: sins right right and th- it's the very same thing in the in the intercession of moses is that you know i mean these are your people you called them you you rescued them and i know that you love them right <laughs> so and so and that you and that you do, that you actually don't want to destroy them um and 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 what's beautiful about that i i just i, I think about what a what a Again, a kind of a confounding way that God works, and it's it's marvelous, and that it destroys our reason. But He's He establishes He He you know appoints Moses for precisely this purpose, to be the the emissary of God against God, right? To to bring God's promises to bear against uh, God's wrath, and to see it um, see it overcome by His mercy. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that. That is a. That's quite a way of looking at it, but it's it's a good way of looking at it because God, I mean, God wants us to pray. God moves us to pray. The Spirit, you know, pushes us along to pray. And it may be that our prayer is the reason why God does what he does. Yeah. You know, that's that's something that I've talked about with, you know, with Bible study here and stuff like that, that, you know, your prayer may be the reason that God appointed for something to happen. I mean, that boggles the mind if you think about it, but.
0: (laughs) It it does. At the same time, it is absolutely the key to understanding everything we say about, for instance, the sacrament, or everything God says about the sacraments. You know, it's it's the, I love this basic catechism question. You know, how can water do such great things? How can prayer do such great things? How can, you know, my frail petitions do such great things? The fact is they do. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much, not because he's righteous, but because God has attached his promises to those petitions, and God. Not only that, but God instituted those petitions for this purpose. You know, when we, when you pray for right. the sick, when you pray for people who are in trouble, when and when you pray for your enemies. I mean, think about that. That God has appointed your prayers as the means of saving your enemies from disaster. It's just, uh, it's 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 marvelous, right? It, it just completely flies in the way in the face of anything we we see in the rest of our lives or in the rest of the world. Yeah.
1: No. I mean, just just to think that. My prayer for the conversion of someone that I know, for example, could very well be the prayer that God has appointed for that purpose. Yeah. And that's it's it's humbling, if nothing else, but it also shows the great power of prayer and the reason why our Lord Jesus Christ continues in prayer. Yes. It is something that is part of what it means to be in God. And I think that's, it really is just a marvelous thing. But yeah. Well, what do you want to? How do you want to close up this section?
0: Maybe this is this is a good opportunity to uh, to to take up for just a moment one of one of Jesus's specific prayers, uh, which okay. co- which follows um, the next chapter in Luke. And, and, and again, when I'm thinking about God, you know, sort of baffling us and perplexing us, this is this is one of those moments Jesus has in, in chapter ten. Jesus has sent out the disciples, and they've come back and um, they're marveling, at, but, but don't rejoice, he says to them, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then, and then in verse 21, so Luke 10, verse 21, in that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by the, my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him it, it, it reminds me of of the 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 um innocence and obedience of children you know i don't know if you i do these things with my kids sometimes where you know i want them to practice obedience and so i'll you know i'll, I'll ask them to do something and then i'll say and now you're supposed to say okay dad or you know in my particularly uppity moods now you're supposed to say yes sir right so so i i i tell them I say something I ask them to do something and then I I give them the very words in order to do the thing that I asked them to do and they do it they don't say to themselves you know this doesn't mean anything because you told me to do it they just they just do it because I I told them to and it's good and in the process they learn obedience at a deeper level than just you know pure rote parroting um they're they're learning the habits that are required for obedience and that's kind of what's going on here I think so so Jesus is is rejoicing that the mystery of the kingdom of God is hidden from people who could figure thi- who can figure things out, but instead it is revealed to those who simply trust, who who simply hear and obey. You know, who who when instructed to pray don't sit back and think, well, wait a minute, God already knows everything that I'm going to ask for, anyways. What's the point in saying it out loud or whatever? You know, He like, reveals it to infants and to and to um and to children who who can't make sense of anything, right?
1: Right, right. That is a, a very important thing I think we need to talk about, but we should do it on the other side of the break so we can do it, give it the length that it deserves. So we'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken right after this. Listening to a word fitly spoken. I'm Zell Heidi here with David Bukes talking about the prayers of Jesus. So, in the previous segment, David, you ended you ended that segment talking about Chapter 10 and specifically the prayer where Jesus is, you know, rejoicing that God has hidden these things from the wise and the understanding. Okay, would it be fair to say that this is an example of a public prayer? And if if so, how would we know that?
0: Yeah, I think I think that that's uh, a, a nice categorization here, and, and part of the way you can see that is immediately after he uh, says this prayer, verse twenty three, Luke 10, 23, He turns to his disciples and says privately to them, "Blessed are are the eyes that see what you see." So there's some sense in which um, he, he's he's saying these words in the hearing of more than just his disciples, which he, I mean, he's always drawing that distinction, right? the the words that he speak he speaks to those outside in parables um but to his disciples the the mysteries are revealed that i think fits with the character of a distinction between public and private prayer this isn't this isn't um you know our our household of our household of faith that is uh gathering together in short you know uh, our collected prayers in a small on a small scale but this is prayer before the whole world anybody can hear it anybody anybody um can listen in
1: yeah Well, I mean, we don't want our public prayers to be, you know, confounding them. We're not speaking in parables when we pray in public, but we can see the purpose of this kind of prayer, this public prayer is to say something about God. It is to say something about, you know, what is happening. It is, there is a purpose in which prayer teaches, right? That in the act of praying, those who are listening, those who are participating in the prayer, are also learning something about the kingdom. You think that's fair?
0: I think so. I was just thinking about um, the the beginning of Psalm Psalm one hundred five. Give, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. Right, which is this this great combination of of you know three things that really fit well with prayer. And part of it is this this proclamation. You know, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. And that's one of the things that happens <laughs> one of, that's one of the things that happens in prayer. Um, we get this in our in the structure of our prayers in collects, where we we start with a rationale that is often, you know, this is what you've done before, this is what you said, this is what you promised, um, which is a de- you know the open declaration of God's deeds. That is you know re- the, the psalms are replete with that, right? This is how uh, the godly pray by by announcing simply what God has done so everyone can hear it.
1: Well, that was a point well made, but one thing that I think should be asked at this point is, what do we make of the prayer itself, though? Because the prayer itself is kind of a strange prayer, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is basically saying, thank you for not letting these people know what you have revealed to these children. I mean, it's basically like, thank you for confusing them, God. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, it, that's that's parallel
0: I think to uh another one of the the prayers where we where we hear the specific content um in in John 11 when Jesus is, shows up to to raise Lazarus from the dead and he's already had this conversation with his his disciples that that is that is perplexing in that same way. It's like uh Lazarus is sick, but the sickness, you know, it's he's just going to fall asleep. Oh, he's so it's really not so bad. But he's, but then he's dead. So why aren't we going? Why aren't why are we waiting so long? And they waited until you know four days in the tomb, and then Jesus shows up, and um, he has these these remarkable conversations with Mary and Martha, and then he lifts up his eyes and says, "Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you that you sent me." So, you know, what what is he thanking his father for? Him that he heard him, and part of his request was not that. Lazarus would be spared from death. He wasn't. He wasn't praying that Lazarus wouldn't die, but really, what he's praying for is that that his father would be glorified, um, in whatever whatever it is that happens. And there, here in John eleven, the glory is, you know, that 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 the power of Jesus over death is exhibited. In in Luke ten, you know, the the glory of God is in making little, humbling the proud, and bringing low those who are lofty and exalted in their own eyes. That's what that's where God's glory is uh, is found um, in in bringing man to his knees, so that he has nothing to glory in except for his heavenly Father.
1: Absolutely, and I think it's also interesting in John chapter eleven that that prayer that Jesus says is prayed before he commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb. Yeah, which is which is telling. Jesus is not saying. Lazarus come out, Lazarus comes out, and then he says, Father, I think that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. He says, I think that you've heard me in all of this, and then then he's done, and then he commands Lazarus to come forth. So the prayer is not thanksgiving for Lazarus rising. (laughs) The prayer is for the situation, as you put it, right? Yeah, (laughs) right,
0: right, which which I think fits in, uh, again, with... um... The other things that Jesus prays for along the way that that his that his father would be glorified, he, he, which he knows and we should know. But we, we, we fail so often to grasp this. He knows does not fit with the glory of this world, like the, the way that things are glorified in this world is by, you know, avoiding suffering. It's by um, having things always be glamorous or glossy or whatever it might be. Uh, comfort. And ease and um, outward peace—all of those things are the things that the world glories in. But God knows, Jesus knows that. Well, I mean, that His glory is in is in sacrifice, is in is in the cross, and so that's why He can He can look at a situation where Lazarus is in the tomb, and He can say, "Yep, this is good. This is good. What what has happened is uh, is to the glory of God." You know, exactly.
1: So, with that being said, then David, what do we do with that? I mean, do we? Do we pray in this way? You know, what does it mean to pray in this way? What can we learn from the way that Jesus prays in public and especially in seeking the glory of God, even in, shall we say, strange situations? You know, what What do we do with that?
0: Yeah, I, I think that um, uh, you can you can hear behind Jesus's prayer or in front of Jesus's prayer I guess uh the the refrain of the apostle you know rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice right so the the goal the goal there is rejoicing always or counting it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds the way the way that happens is not through some sort of a you know stoicism or you know grim you know gritting your teeth and just sort of enduring and you know sm- forcing yourself to smile but it is as we've said before you know seeing in in every situation an opportunity to conform your will to God's will and to learn again and again and again that God's will is always good. Um and that his will is for our good, which which you can see all over the place in, in Jesus's prayers that besides besides when he's offering prayers to God for his for his own sake, you know, uh and like in the Garden of Gethsemane, that this cup may pass, but not my will, but yours be done, he's also continually offering prayers on behalf of on behalf of others. So he prays for Peter. We don't hear his specific words, but he tells Peter, I prayed, you know, Satan sought, was was after you, and I prayed and wanted to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you, that that your faith wouldn't fail, right? So the, the goal is that that Peter would remain faithful. And likewise, on the, on the cross, when Jesus prays for those who are, uh, you know, murdering him, the petition is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The goal there is that the will of God the recognition that the will of God is always good, even even in the crucifixion of Jesus, so that even uh, from the cross, Jesus is dispensing the forgiveness, the good forgiveness, the life and salvation that 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 the, the people who are persecuting him need most of all. That's that's kind of uh, I think the the main application there is it, it, simply learning that that's what we must come to recognize, and that has to guide all of our endeavors in the faith, in becoming a faithful Christian or growing in faith. Becoming better at prayer is not about all of the outward, sort of trite ways that people think they they grow uh, in in prayer. It's it's simply learning more and more and more to trust in Jesus uh, from beginning to end uh, till our till our dying day. You know, and what Jesus shows us, I think, is that although one day our faith will be resolved into sight, you know, now now we see through a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Even then. We're not done trusting in our heavenly father, but in fact, you know, it's a, it's a continual growth in that, in that trust along the way. I mean, eternally.
1: Right. Well, and, and in that sense that, uh, you know, you say learn to trust him up to the point of death, you could say even trust him beyond, right. And that, that that this is something that, as you rightly point out, continues. And so learning to trust and to know the good and gracious will of God, even in the midst of situations where it doesn't seem like it. I mean, you can imagine how Lazarus's sisters felt, you know, in the midst of their grief, but yet they still turn and say, you know, I believe that you will do this. I know that you will raise him on the last day. You know, so they they have come to trust in the will of God so that even in the midst of that death they can still recognize that this is God's good and gracious will. That this is I mean, this is what this is what he would have done. This is what glorifies his name, and so I think learning to pray, even in the midst of our grief, even in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our difficult situations, I mean, we learn to trust Jesus more and more through prayer, right?
0: It, it, yeah, and I think that there's great opportunity there for encouraging one another. I, I was thinking about how. Some of the most joyous things for me as a pastor, joyous moments for me as a pastor are when people are suffering and they express, they confess their faith in God. As like these great conversations where somebody, you know, they've got a long list of stuff that, that they're going through or whatever it is. And at the end of that long list, they say, like, just like David does, you know, but I'm going to rejoice in God because, you know, he's He's taking care of me. He's never failed me. He sent his son to die for me. I, w- I honestly don't think there's anything better than hearing those words from another Christian, which is that's what we're aiming at. And when we when we pray in that way, and when we hear others, you know, I mean, that kind of a confession is a prayer in and of itself, right? When, when we hear that, it's so encouraging. It teaches us uh, all the more to, to put our hope in God. You know, here here it is. You here you see the, the power of faith that when when all the world and your own flesh want to uh, curse God and die still you're going to rejoice in your savior
1: indeed amen one thing that i kind of want to get at before we get to the end of this episode since we're kind of coming towards the end talking about public prayer here uh, what what can we also learn to apply for us as pastors and praying say in public like actually praying in the church service you know what does what do the prayers of jesus teach us about that kind of praying and the purpose of that kind of praying as well. I mean, wh- what do we pick up from the public prayers of Jesus that would inform us about our public prayers as pastors?
0: Yeah, I think that, G- uh, so a-, a couple of things there. One is one is recognizing our collective weakness, and that's that's the reason the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with, with groanings too deep for words, but it's also the reason why Jesus is, Jesus is the one we hear praying in the gospels. Um, so th- that's part of the 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 responsibility and the the opportunity for a pastor in the congregation you know is uh, in the public prayers of the church to to lift people up who struggle to pray you know to to lead them in prayer who might otherwise have a difficulty praying um, and, and we get help from this too I mean in the in the written prayers of the church we we never know. We never know what to pray for as we ought, and uh, I I'm, I'm, I'm marvel how often it is that that the prayers of the church, the the collects, you know, the collects for the Sundays of the church year, and the psalms, how they they put in our mouths and on our lips the very things we need to pray for. And I think that the the public prayer of the church does that very thing. So you you come into church on a Sunday morning, people have on their minds all kinds of things, um, and they're bringing all kinds of. Uh, struggles and challenges and sins and grief and all of that with them, and in the prayers of the church, we gather all of that up on their behalf and more. We draw their attention to all of the other needs that are around them and all of the things that we have to be thankful for, and we direct it all towards this this main purpose that uh, God would unite us in in faith towards Him and in love towards our neighbors. I love that love that post communion collect which. Put such a nice bow on the celebration of the Lord's Supper. If you if you forgot why you ate and drank Jesus' body and blood, here it is for you one more time that you would uh, grow in faith towards Him and in love towards your neighbors. Um, and that's the reason why that's such a that's such a beautiful prayer, and why praying it aloud uh, in the congregation on behalf of the church is so valuable.
1: Do you think any of the uh, the weirdness of Jesus' public prayers? should be reflected in our public prayers you know what I mean <laughs> I do I, I hadn't thought of
0: that I like that um, uh, yeah, I, I'm just thinking about some of the some of the stranger prayers that we have or the ones that come across as strange you know the litany for instance which you know f- I always strikes me when we pray that God would protect us from sudden and evil death now the evil death part is n- is not a big deal but but from sudden death um, so many people so many people desire actually that when they die it would be a Sudden death, but we we pray against that. Why? Because we we know that God uses he uses our mortality to teach us to trust in Him. I, I think that there's a great opportunity there. I, I like that praying in such a way that people raise an eyebrow at you while you're <laughs> while you're saying the prayers.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not saying being deliberately provocative <laughs> or something. But, I mean, but but Jesus Jesus is not afraid to pray for. You know, not afraid to give thanks for the situation that he's in with Lazarus, yeah. for example. He's not afraid to pray in an almost, I don't want to say combative way, but basically saying, you know, thank you, God, that you've hidden these things from these people and have revealed them to those who would understand. So, I mean, there is a kind of almost polemic to it. But, I mean, is is that something that should ever feature in our prayers this kind of inherent strangeness or even a kind of I don't want to say combativeness but you know what I mean
0: yeah i mean i was just thinking about real practical situations so so suppose you're having a prayer service because there's been no rain
1: mm-hmm. and
0: undoubtedly you you thank god for everything you thank him for the gifts that he's given you and you you ask him to teach you to trust in him and you pray for rain but maybe what you're kind of, what you're kind of getting at there is you know maybe a petition that also says and thank you for not letting us prosper too much thank you for uh for yeah. teaching us for humbling us right thank you for uh using this poor weather this unseasonable weather to teach us to call on you
1: thank you for the drought to te- to teach us to pray yeah there's yeah. a there's a provocative prayer yeah but, I like that but we can recognize in it what God is doing because i mean if if we truly confess that all things are for his glory and our good—that includes the the difficult times.
0: Yeah, and that I think that that uh, that I'm, I'm just thinking about the the different attitudes you might have in coming to say a prayer service like that. Okay, so so the, the drought's been going on and and crops aren't growing and we're at the point of failure, and there's a way to approach a prayer service which is kind of like you know, maybe we're going to, we're going to offer a sacrifice to the rain God now, and maybe, maybe he'll listen and open the heavens for us. And maybe finally something we can squeeze something out of him. But, and that's, I, I, I'm, boy, when I think about it, I, I I see how tempting that is to come to those prayers in that way. When in fact, you know, imagine if before, before a drop of rain falls from the heavens, we say, thank you, God, that you have, that you've given us any weather at all, (laughs) that you've given us this weather, right? That you've, that you've, uh, that you've, you've given us this season, because we know that everything that comes from your hand is good and for, and for our good.
1: Boy, that's really hard to see in the moment though, isn't it? (laughs) Isn't
0: it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I mean, there, there's a, you know, a helpful example from Jesus too, right? So although he prays, he knows, he knows everything that's going to happen with Lazarus and he, and I imagine is uh, I, I can only imagine the difficulty in like not getting up and going and sparing Lazarus from from death and sparing Mary and Martha from that grief. And then you know, the difficulty of praying for thanking God that this has all happened and that everybody's learning these lessons while Lazarus is still in the tomb. But then, of course, I mean as everybody knows, Jesus wept, right? There was still because he's recognizing, and those tears are on account of the fact that um, the reason we the reason for so many of our petitions, is because of sin and the fallenness of the world right there are lots of petitions that we would never that we would never have to offer nor will we have to offer in heaven and and those petitions are beset by grief they're they're accompanied by tears and that's good that it should be that way because part of that that plea to god is that he would set things right not just in this moment right but right. eternally right? Right. That, right that 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 one day we would be able to offer him thanks and praise with no with no sorrow
1: and that I'll be able to look back in heaven on the drought, on the death, on the whatever it was, and be able to say, thank you for doing what you did. Right. Yeah. Whatever whatever it took
0: to get me here, that's what you did. And I thank you for it.
1: Maybe we all get to that point, because I know that that's, that's always a struggle, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, yep. to so submit ourselves to him in that way, in prayer, to be able to say that. So... But any last thoughts that you want to throw out there before we close for today?
0: No, just, just, you know, as I think about uh, the, the nature of examples and the opportunity for imitation and also teaching, teaching children to pray, really what we ought to do is we ought to just practice, you know, we ought to take up, the, take up on our lips, the words of Jesus, the words of the Psalms, and we ought to say them at all the wrong times. You know, the times that, that like we don't want to say them, those are the times that we should say them more earnestly. Um, and, and thank God that, 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 that's how he goes to work on us. You know, he, he puts his, his, his word, his word is fruitful. It, 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 produces fruit and it, and he's promised that it will. So it's like exercise, you know, you don't know how good you're going to feel until you actually get up and exercise. And then, then suddenly you feel better. So,
1: <laughs> and I think as we mentioned in the beginning, you know, with, with private prayer Um, a secret prayer, I should say. You know, it is something that we need to do as Christians and something that we should continue to do as Christians, even following the example of our Lord who did all of these kinds of prayers for our sake. So imitate him, follow him, do what he's doing, because our Lord knows what's best for us. And we should, if nothing else, want to be like him also in the way that we pray. This has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard, please check us out, wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com, wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Zellwin Heidi here today with David Bukes. God love you, and God bless.